This may sound strange, but to crime scene investigators, there's something peaceful about working with the dead. No matter how a victim's life ended, they all have a story to tell. That is, if somebody is willing to listen. For more than 30 years, Howie Ryan has been that guy. Most of that time as a state police crime scene investigator. Today, he is a crime scene reconstruction consultant and expert witness and teacher of state-of-the-art forensic techniques to law enforcement agencies worldwide. He has worked scenes you wouldn't want to experience in your worst nightmare. This podcast series will pull back the sheet on what really happens in the world of forensic investigations. It's not like what you see on TV. So hold on tight as we take a walkthrough of some gruesome crime scenes and controversial cases, many of which are too brutal for most people to imagine, and sometimes even for the experts. Join Howard Ryan and his guest experts from around the world for a no-nonsense ringside seat as they take you Under the Yellow Tape. Hey, welcome to Under the Yellow Tape, brought to you today in part by Forensic Training Source. Have you ever wondered about those that do the investigative work to ensure that crime scenes are analyzed, evidence is collected, truth is discovered, and justice is served? Or where the law enforcement professionals that protect and serve all of us find the specialized training required to do their important jobs? Forensic Training Source is the company that provides exactly that kind of training. They exist to serve those that protect and serve all of us. Forensic Training Source deploys internationally recognized experts across the United States to provide top-notch instruction in a variety of forensic disciplines. Let's face it, training budgets for the public servants that keep us safe are tight, especially when travel is required to attend quality training. Forensic Training Source has created a model for course delivery that brings training to the practitioners by mobilizing each course in order to reduce the cost for a community to obtain specialized training for their forensic professionals. Forensic Training Source has become well-known, specifically for 40-hour courses in the fields of crime scene photography, bloodstain pattern analysis, shooting incident reconstruction, and associated advanced courses. They use real scenarios, real blood, real weapons, real ammunition, and most importantly, real experts to create an interactive, dynamic learning experience for its participants. From Alaska to Florida, and Maine to Southern California, the staff and instructors of Forensic Training Source have delivered training for thousands of forensic practitioners from all 50 states and numerous countries worldwide. Like myself and everyone here at Under the Yellow Tape, Forensic Training Source has a deep appreciation for those that objectively seek, find, and share truth. And for that reason, I am honored that they chose to sponsor Under the Yellow Tape podcast. For more information, check out Forensic Training Source on their Facebook page or visit them at www.forensictrainingsource.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Under the Yellow Tape. And for those of you that have listened before, welcome back. I'm glad you're all here. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a case that is uh, fresh in the media and has been for a while, but... There has been a, a ruling um, recently, and it is the death of Brianna Taylor. This is a case that happened in Louisville, Kentucky, and it's a um, it's kind of a tragic case, but there's a lot that goes on in this case, and um, there's no way I could do an episode in the time frame that we normally do and discuss every detail 
of the criminal investigation of the players involved and bring it all the way around. So what we're going to do is I'm going to kind of hit the, the, the parts that I think lay the foundation of their investigation and why it led up to the front door of the apartment of Brianna Taylor back March 13th of 2020. For those of you that may not have heard anything about it, uh, Brianna Taylor was a 26-year-old woman who lived in Louisville, Kentucky. There had been a lot of media attention early on and a lot of public outcry, like there is on all these police shootings. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay them, but it seems like with social media and everything else, it gets launched into a state of frenzy and hysteria very quickly. This case was no different. It was hyped as she's a young EMT, and all the pictures you should, they, that were shown in the media of her were wearing her uniform, holding some flowers in front of a, a like a city crest seal of the city of Louisville or whatnot, because she worked for uh, Louisville Metro. And then there was other to uh, conversation in, in media topics, and, and then the general consensus of the public hysteria that you know, she was just this innocent girl shot lying in her bed, and, you know, the police lost their minds, and they were over-aggressive, and blah, blah, blah. Well, like any other case, there's usually a lot more to it than what you first hear. One of the problems we have in this country, and you've heard me talk about it on previous episodes, is the media is culpable in a lot of the false information, giving out a lot of this false information that's out there. It's a race with them to get the stories out. So they do, they get them out and they don't seem to really have as much concern as they used to over getting accurate. It's more like who's just going to be first. So we'll get into um, how this all happened and I'm going to give some names of players. If I gave you the whole roster, it would be like a, a manager of a baseball team walking out to home plate, handing the umpire my daily roster, my, my lineup card. There's so many people involved in the background of the investigation, meaning suspects, and uh, that you'd never keep it all straight. And quite honestly, I probably wouldn't keep it all straight talking to you about it. So I want to talk about Brianna Taylor. Okay, she's, she's the deceased in this case. We're going to talk about a gentleman by the name of Jamarcus Glover. That is a ex-boyfriend, current boyfriend, on and off boyfriend, acquaintance, passive acquaintance, as one of the attorneys called it later on. He's a major player. He's a convicted felon. He is a drug dealer in that area. And he is a main player and reason of how this whole thing comes about. There's another gentleman by the name of Kenneth Walker. That is the current boyfriend of record uh, at the time of this incident, the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor. Most public information accounts, um, open source media stuff, doesn't have Kenneth Walker related in any way to any of the other drug-related stuff. That I don't know. I don't know whether other things have been introduced, but as far as this evening when this incident occurs, he really doesn't have much to do with that part of it, or so they say. Now, there are members of the Louisville Metro Police Department who are going to execute a search warrant of her residence. And it is a series, it is one part of a series of other warrants that have been issued and signed by a judge uh, to hit multiple locations simultaneously or close to simultaneously. It all revolves around one investigation and a multiple and a number of players that are involved. This is like, make no mistake about this, folks. This is a drug gang. This is a group of people involved in a narcotics distribution ring in the area of 25th, 26th Street and Broadway in the city of Louisville, which by all accounts, and if you talk to anybody in law enforcement in Kentucky or Louisville area, that area is like a war zone. There's so many shootings going on. So they operate predominantly in this area. They have been for quite some time, and there have been other cases 
involved. And one of the things that early on the media didn't want to talk about is how did Brianna Taylor, how is she connected? Well, aside from the dating aspect of Jamarcus Glover and uh, a few other people here, Kenneth Walker and um, some other individuals, which we'll, we'll name as we go through, um, she had a little bit more involvement than what the media originally led on. The Louisville Metro Police Department began an investigation some time ago. Well, let me go back first and address the EMT issue. So the media was talking about her being an EMT, and it's really not that big of a deal. She's not anymore. She was an EMT for Louisville Metro for a short period of time in 2016. She left that job or was asked to quit that job kind of suggested that she leave that job, I believe, in November of 2016. Interesting thing happened shortly thereafter. And this is where you start to see the other life of Breonna Taylor, that the media that wants to paint her as an angel doesn't really dive into. And I am not going to do this to kind of shit on Breonna Taylor or her legacy or her memory or her person. I'm just going to tell you some of the facts. You make up your own decision. She, she was involved with some pretty uh, nefarious people. So going back to December of 2016, on the 1600 block of 25th Street, a gentleman by the name of Fernandez K. Bowman, or Bauman, was found dead in the front seat of a car. It was a silver sedan. His street name was Rambo. That's important because it's going to come back later. He is the brother of Demarius Bowman, another player in the area. So Fernandez, Rambo here, he's, he's murdered. He's shot in a car. The car... Uh, is found to have struck a pole, a fence, and then come to rest up against a house. The whole area down here is, is, is kind of this typical inner city kind of drug violence neighborhood. There's a lot going on in this specific area that's, that's pretty violent. So uh, on the 31st of the following year, on January 31st, I'm sorry, of the following year, a gentleman by the name of Quentin Seville Hall, uh, known affectionately on the street as Q-Tip. So Quentin, or Q-Tip... He's a 34-year-old guy. He's arrested for the murder of Rambo. So I got Q-tip killing Rambo. Stay with me. He's locked up. Now, Quentin's background, just so you know, he's uh, been charged with murder, first-degree wanton endangerment, first-degree evading police, first-degree trafficking, trafficking with methamphetamine and heroin, first-degree possession of CDS, possession of marijuana, possession of a handgun by a convicted felon. This is when the police arrest him for the murder of Rambo. This is what he's charged with. He has priors. He's, he's been in the system. He's no stranger to the system. Now, you might ask, what the hell does this have to do with Breonna Taylor? Well, it's one of the first parts of what seems to be a pattern here. See, Rambo is in a car, dead. The car was rented by Breonna Taylor. So he's in a car rented by Breonna Taylor, dead, stuck up against a house. This investigation into this crew is not new. It didn't start in 2020 and end in 2020. They have been watching these people and locking them up periodically over the years. And she's been involved in it to some extent or to quite a large extent from time to time through those years. And I think it's very important that we talk about that because we're going to talk later again, like we usually do. I'll give some family statements of what they thought of her and how wonderful she was. And then we'll get into the usual idiot celebrities and politician uh, rhetoric. So that vehicle rented by Breonna Taylor becomes important because it starts to lay a foundation here. Over the next period of time, actually years, I don't know if it's one continuous or multiple, but Louisville Metro 
begins a very substantial surveillance investigation, and uh, they're they're doing putting a poll cameras. They're putting GPSs on cars, all getting warrants through this through this thing to follow these people to lay a groundwork for an affidavit for search warrants. And what we do is we call it patterns of life. So they're establishing the patterns of life of certain individuals. Some of their individuals are their main targets. And, you know, her boyfriend Glover, Jamarcus Glover, he's one of the main targets. And what we find through this time is that as he's on and off dating Brianna Taylor, she's also doing some other things for him. She's bailing him out of jail on multiple occasions. She is renting cars for him and others to use. And she is receiving packages and holding money. Now, Jamarcus isn't you know, he doesn't have a job on Wall Street or anything like that. It's not like he's getting a paycheck and he's coming home and, you know, he's saying, honey, do me a favor, cash my check and put it into the 401k. He's coming home with wads of cash and he's having different women. Brianna Taylor's not the only one. He's having different women that he is, I don't, you know, I'm not even going to say romantically about He's using, he's, he's got all these girls in the neighborhood. He's using them. And I'll name some of them later because it's all public info, but they're holding the money. As time goes by, they see Glover driving another car that's rented by Brianna Taylor. And he is traveling around this, this neighborhood from home to home where they have been listed through months of surveillance and, and uh, detailed investigation as homes that are commonly known to be involved in drug trade, the drug trade. So he spreads the money out a little bit through different, different areas. In other words, if one house gets hit, he'd still have stuff in another house. Now, he has been in and out of the system himself. He is, a, he is a convicted felon as well. So the night in question, and I'm fast forwarding, but I'm going to double back. The night in question is the night of March 13th, 2020. This is a night where search warrants and arrest warrants are going to be executed. They're looking for these, a few of these individuals, Glover being one, one of the main targets. But Brianna Taylor's home, her, her residence, her apartment is a target. And I say that specifically because Part of the original information that was given out by media is that this was a botched uh, execution of a search warrant. It was a botched raid. They went to the wrong house. The, the individual they're looking for was on the other end of town, and, and they kind of spun it back and forth. And again, remember, truth doesn't matter when you're in the media. Don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. We can ramp this up and maybe get people pissed off enough where they'll burn their city down. So what you're seeing here is not that case. As, as far as botched, it's not that that house was the target. Brianna Taylor's name is on the warrant. There's a reason why it's because Jamarcus Glover had been to that house over a long period of time on many, many occasions. And he, uh, he'd been seen in cars that, that were rented by her. There had been deliveries of packages to this resident and it laid the foundation and for their affidavit as to why there would be a simultaneous search warrant executed. Now, for those of you that are probably saying, why, why would it be simultaneous? Why wouldn't they just go from one to the other to the other? Well, because people have cell phones and people talk and people text and things like that. So if they, they, they were to execute a warrant at one address and it got out, the other addresses or places of interest, they might start to destroy or hide evidence. So that's why that happens. Now, there is a big issue with this warrant that the public has, and there has been a lot of people talking about it. They made application for a, what do they call a no-knock warrant. So a no-knock warrant is kind of just that. 
It gives permission for them to enter the home without announcing themselves. They don't have to knock on the door and say, hi, police, open the door. There's a reason why they apply for that, and there's a reason why a judge gives that. If you can lay the foundation that the people involved are dangerous or are potentially dangerous, armed, have prior weapons offenses, well, here's the thing, folks. The police want the element of surprise. It's as simple as that. They want to hit the door hard and fast if they have to. They want to get to them before they start flushing things down the toilet or throwing things out the window or jumping out the windows and running. It's it's as simple as that. Element of surprise. In a tactical situation, the element of surprise can be just a gigantic advantage. So that's why that happens. And in this case, they were issued a no-knock warrant. Interestingly enough, they did not execute it as a no-knock warrant. Their supervisors of the unit gave the directive that, no, you're going to knock and announce. Now, just because you have a no-knock warrant doesn't mean you have to do that. It's just there if you need it. They established enough probable cause in their affidavit for the judge to give them that permission, that legal, lawful permission to do a no-knock. In this case, however, they didn't feel the need to when they got there. It was a knock. That may have come from other things. Maybe she's home alone. Maybe she, there's not that many people in the house. Maybe it's just her and somebody else. Maybe they already know Jamarcus Glover's at another place and he's the violent one. So they felt the need not to do that. For, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that's why. Because usually if you have a no-knock, you're not knocking. So there had to be something uh, going on there. So what they were expecting to see there, they were looking for money. They wanted to find potential drugs. And if they did, and this is hard nobody else is talking about either. If they found narcotics or they found money as a result of the drug trade, Brianna Taylor was going to be arrested. She wasn't just going to open the door and say, oh, yeah, you know, my old boyfriend, every once in a while, he just leaves a little cocaine here. And, you know, it's just over there, right next to my piano. No, she was going to get hooked up, but it didn't go that way. Now, as far as the entry when this happened, there were three police officers that went to this house. And I'm going to tell you who they are. The first is Sergeant Jonathan Mattingly. The second is a detective, Miles Cosgrove. And the third is a detective, Brett Hankinson. It's very important to understand that none of these officers were involved in the narcotics investigation. They were pulled in to do this raid as additional personnel. You may not think that's a big deal, but it actually is. It takes away some of the potential contextual or confirmation bias that people are going to try to accuse the agency of. In other words, they had nothing to do with this case. I'm just, do you want me to hit this door? You want me to secure who's inside? And then we're going to execute a search warrant. We're going to go through and see what we can find. That's it. That's it. So they had no preconceived anger or hatred towards anybody because they weren't even involved in it. That's what they're, they're saying. So that evening at 3003 Springfield, apartment number four, they approached the door. Again, this is where the knock, no knock falsehoods came from. Originally, it was they knocked the door down and entered and frightened everybody inside and a shooting occurred. So much so that there's been a a public outcry about no-knock warrants. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But the truth of this came out that they did not enter utilizing the no-knock option. They pounded on the door. Multiple witnesses, including Kenneth Walker, admitted that they pounded on the door. They're saying they didn't announce themselves. The police are saying they did. After receiving no answer, they exercised the lawful option of opening the door by force. So they probably took a ram and knocked the door either from its hinges or at least broke it open from the lock. 
Um, according to reports, Mattingly was the first one to enter, Sergeant Jonathan, Jonathan Mattingly. He gives the statement, I saw two people standing in front of me, a male and a female, and I could see the male had a gun in his hand. He was standing, as he said, in a shooting stance. At that point, Mattingly was shot. The individual holding the gun inside fired, discharged one round, striking Mattingly in the thigh. Mattingly went down. Now, what happens after that is probably exactly what you think would happen. They returned fire. So in the hallway is Mattingly and Cosgrove. They both returned fire. Hankinson was outside around, I believe, the side of the building. He fired through some windows. And I'm going to talk about that a little separately because his gunshots actually didn't have anything to do with Brianna Taylor's death. In other words, he didn't hit her. Mattingly and Cosgrove fired, striking Brianna Taylor multiple times, killing her. Walker was not injured in the exchange of gunfire. Notice I said exchange of gunfire. Now, there's a lot of people that are just so disgusted by the fact that this young girl got killed in her own house, and they don't want to talk about how it happened or why it happened. It's pretty simple. And it's, uh, from a shooting reconstruction standpoint, this is actually rather cut and dry. The, the, the background was done properly. The surveillance was done properly. The investigation, uh, the investigative information over a period of time had been done properly. The affidavits seemed to have been done correctly. And the application of the court was accepted. As a result, search warrants were, were authorized. They showed restraint. And I'm talking now from a perspective of an investigator who has done these cases, investigated these. They actually used restraint by not just going for the no-knock immediately. They knocked and announced, or at least they knocked. That's not in dispute. The announcing part seems to be in dispute. But they did knock, and then they made entry. So right inside the door, they were faced with gunfire. There has since been a ruling from a grand jury on this, clearing these two police officers of wrongdoing. Actually, not just clearing them of wrongdoing. Basically say they were completely justified by the law in reacting to the deadly gunfire that was uh, directed at them. Now, that's the shooting of Breonna Taylor, multiple times on the floor. Now, there's a million other little side stories people want to talk about. Well, how did they behave after they shot her? Did they have body cameras on? This, that, and the other thing. The truth of the matter is nobody really knows except the people that were in there. And you also have a wounded police officer down that had an artery struck. So somebody's trying to put a tourniquet on him. And just so you know, if a police officer goes through the door and his partner gets hit and he shoots another person that's in there, who do you think he's going to render first aid to first? I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying this is what's going to happen. My partner goes down. I defend him and I administer first aid. So I don't really know the time frame of what went on first aid wise. And I don't know the extent of her injuries as far as other than the death, obviously. Meaning I don't know where she was struck. I don't know whether she took a gunshot to the torso, to the head or whatever. That I don't know. I don't have an autopsy report on this, but she is deceased there at the scene. There was a lot of unrest. And now the story started to pour out on this saying uh, they had already had the person in. This is very important, actually. They already had the person in custody across town, which wasn't really across town. It was a little bit away uh, that they were looking for. Why would they even do this? Will they do this because of what I just said? There's been months and months and potentially years of evidence of her being a part of this drug network. Did you hear what I just said? She's part of it. She's aiding and abetting. She's a conspirator. She's complicit 
in the administration of a drug network. Jeez, she's handling the money. I'm going to read some some state some statements, some recordings of phone conversations from them from jail. She's almost a damn CFO. She's handling the money. She's one of them. She's on the board. Let's put it that way. She's important enough to handle the money. She's important enough to go get the rental cars when they need one. And she's important enough to put down her address when going down to the county lockup to bail these guys out whenever that needed to happen. Just understand how it got there. That's, we call that the predicate. And, you know, the predicate is in a legal sense, uh, the term predicate means to base something, such as a fact, statement, or action, on another thing. To base something on something else, right? In criminal law, a predicate offense also refers to as, quote, a predicate act is a crime that provides the resources for or contains some of the elements of a more serious crime. There's an argument to be made here that Brianna Taylor's behavior is a predicate to the search warrant of her house, not to her death. I'm not going to say it like that, but certainly it's what brought them to her door. For all of those of you who watch way too much television and think that tactical entries are all the same, I want to take just a minute and talk to you about Murphy. There's a law called Murphy's Law, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong at a particular time. Anybody that's ever done anything in the world of tactics will tell you that Murphy usually shows up, and he always shows up at the worst time. On search warrant entries, on dynamic entries, on tactical entries, whatever it is, they'll all tell you the same thing. Your operation, your pre-operation planning, your meetings, your briefings, everything goes smooth. Even if you're doing dry runs in your training, they always are smooth, right? If Murphy shows up, it's usually going to be on the breach when the door is hit. Now, there's a reason why that is. Because there's no way of knowing what the people on the other side of that door are going to do or how they're going to react. That's one of the reasons why the element of surprise is so valuable sometimes. And some people have even brought up the question, what if they had just taken the door and stormed down the hall? Would they have got to them in the bedroom before they made it out with a gun to the hallway? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe the caution and restraint that they used in exercising a no-knock helped the people behind the door prepare for what they were going to do. Murphy shows up at the most inopportune times. Now, you, now take that and bring it into this particular case, right? Knock on the door, beat on the door, trying to get them to open. They don't. There's time. Time is not your friend. When you're about to make entry, you don't want to give them time knowing you're on the other side of the door about to come in. You just don't want that. That, that doesn't really ever work out well. And in this case, it didn't. Now, I'm going to defend Kenneth Walker a little bit because I don't know much about him. The door comes off the hinges and there's people standing there. And the argument here is something that probably has to do with what they call the castle doctrine. The castle doctrine is a law that's in place in a lot of states, which gives you obviously the right to protect your home. Your home is your castle, right? So somebody comes through the door in a threatening manner and you don't know who they are. You have a right to stand your ground and defend yourself. Now, there was never any dialogue that we hear of back and forth, but we do know that Kenneth Walker fired first. I believe he even admitted to it, striking the officer. Originally, they had charged Kenneth Walker with attempted murder. That charge has subsequently been dropped, a decision that I actually happen to agree with. Um, 
if he didn't know and he wasn't part of the other system and he acted in defense of him and Brianna Taylor and he had no idea what else was going on, well, maybe he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he fired. Now, as far as her getting hit, she's standing behind him. So the accounts and reports say she gets hit in the return of gunfire, whether he fell down, dove out of the way. I don't really know. That dynamic is something that I don't know the answer to. But she is struck in this hail of gunfire and an exchange of gunfire. And the question is, why, why was she hit? I'm going to give you a story quick um, of some, something somebody told me. It's a very good friend of mine. Served in the, in the military. And uh, they were over in Afghanistan. And they struck a target. And in the midst of the operation, I think they realized there was potentially some non-combatants that may have been struck. When that happened, this individual, he was pretty torn up over it. And he went to a supervisor and he explained it. And the supervisor, the response from the supervisor was pretty simple. He used the term TDY. And the military TDY is temporary duty. Used for a lot of things. Meaning you're not, not your normal everyday mission or your normal assignment. You're going to do something else. Military kind of throws that term around pretty, pretty liberally. TDY. Going on a TDY to a training thing, training event, training cycle somewhere. Well, he looked at this guy, my friend, and he says, you know what? When you're a terrorist, don't TDY with your family. So here's the thing. If you're involved in a drug gang, don't TDY with your friends or your family. Or don't TDY with the girl who's running the money for a drug ring. It's, it's an unfortunate, horrible situation. But here's the thing we got to remember, and remember this. Try to find an objective way in your head to accept the fact that Breonna Taylor's actions brought the police to the door. Okay? To the door. Actually brought them through the door. Kenneth Walker's actions immediately following that brought about the return of gunfire. So everybody wants to talk about why the police were so negligent and uh, are guilty of murder. No, no, not even close. We are living in a day and age where it is so in vogue to immediately just try to blast the police for their actions. Nobody, nobody in the media is talking about the life that Brianna Taylor led that led up to this. She's, she's holding the money for a drug gang. She's, she's involved with them romantically and in a business sense. They're going to come to your house. Jamarcus Glover used you. You were nothing to him but a pawn, a tool, something he needed. He needed to hide the fruits of his crime from day to day, from time to time, from place to place. And you were just logistics. And in the end, you got shot and killed, going all the way back, for participating in that lifestyle. And that is unfortunate. We see it too much, way too much. And it's horrible. But sometimes what's even more horrible is we want to make a martyr out of her. I didn't, I'm going to say this very clearly. Brianna Taylor didn't deserve to die on that day, but her actions put her in the position to get killed. It's as simple as that. When you go through the rest of this case, and we may come back and revisit this case again on Under the Yellow Tape because there's so much to it. It, it's, it actually would make a movie because there's so many players and there's so much going on. And quite honestly, because they did such an in-depth investigation leading up to these people knowing what the deal was. So the shooting itself, Mattingly gets hit, goes down. Mattingly, fire, he returns fire. He fires six shots. Cosgrove, who's with him in the hallway, sees his partner go down. He fires 16. Now, people are, they're a little taken back by that. 16 shots, oh my God. 
16 shots is nothing in the matter of a second or a second and a half when you hear your partner get hit and go down. There, there's an argument, argument to be made. What if Cosgrove's going to try to pull him out of there? And he's literally laying down what we call suppression fire. Am I going to take more gunfire from whatever's down the hall? Or am I going to lay down fire to get to the injured and get him out? I don't know. I don't know what was going through his mind. But don't be blown away by the number of shots. That's another thing people, they, they love to talk about ad nauseum. Oh my God, there was, you know, 20 shots or whatever. That's second. That's a second, second and a half sometimes. Especially when you have multiple shooters. Okay, now let's get to Hankinson. Hankinson is outside. And for whatever reason, he fires multiple rounds. He actually fires 10 shots through a window, through a sliding glass door or something to that effect. The problem here is, They've pretty much determined that Brett Hankinson had no visual on the threat um, or on even his own guys, from what I understand. He fires 10 rounds. Problem is, other than the fact that he didn't see what he was shooting at, so they say, he fired through another apartment or fired in and went into another apartment. And they have since charged him with three counts of wanton endangerment. And the reason it's three is the other apartment that he hit had three individuals in it. It was actually apartment number three. Brianna Taylor was in apartment four. So there was three people living in apartment three, and he was subsequently was charged with three counts of wanton endangerment. I, I actually don't have a problem with that. I mean, I don't know why he did what he did. Um, they did a pretty exhaustive search and analysis of where he was and what he shot and what he could see. Uh, I don't know that, I don't know what he was thinking to be honest with you. He'll have to defend himself on that. He has been indicted and charged with this. So he, this has gone through the grand jury. Both um, Cosgrove and Mattingly have been cleared and not only cleared, but told they were completely justified in their actions. But Hankinson was not. Now, Hankinson had nothing to do with the death of Breonna Taylor. That's, we need to make that very clear. His rounds never struck her from what I gather, his rounds were nowhere near her. But the fact that he did it has to be addressed. And there's really no, they don't seem to have excuse or a reason why he did it. And I guess to this day, he has not offered that up either. So let's talk about the aftermath. That's, that, by the way, that's pretty much it. Okay. A legit investigation, a, le a legit surveillance, big case was built. All of it's pretty solid. I mean, in the other houses, they found guns and drugs and a bunch of other things, everything you would think of. They were going to look for money or drugs at Breonna Taylor's house, and the shooting occurred. Immediately, right? Immediately, the public outcry. This poor young black EMT was asleep in her bed. See what I mean? This is where it starts. Because if that was true, if this girl was innocent, she's just an EMT, a girl working for a living, and she's laying in her bed when she, she catches stray gunfire... Because the police went in the wrong address? Yeah, that's a big deal, man. That's a, that's a major problem. Yeah, none of that happened. That's what they want you to believe. Because you're going to dial into this story and you're going to stay with it if we say that. It doesn't really matter what happens afterwards. Because you'll notice you never hear like the New York Times or CNN or the LA Times. Nobody apologizes for sucking at their job. They just move on. There's another story. We don't expect them to apologize anymore. We actually don't care. We don't hold anybody accountable. You always want to hold the police accountable. I get it. We should. Absolutely. But the media is a powerful tool and we don't hold them accountable at all. The public outcry was 
pretty substantial. Immediate, there, immediately there was protesters. Benjamin Crump, you've heard me talk about him before. He is the uh, all-encompassing attorney that handles any any black person that was shot by police. That's what he does. Again, I don't I don't blast him for that. It's a job. I get it. He started. He he was in town right away, and he started, you know, giving out statements and and feeding the fire, as well. So, um, once these other people, however, that were involved in the investigation were were jailed, they started to listen in on their phone calls, which I still find amazing that if you're locked up in the middle of an investigation like this, why in God's name you would get on a jailhouse phone and start talking. They're all recorded, folks. You shouldn't do that. So um, let me give you, I'm going to read to you from some of the transcripts of some of the conversations that were, went on in jail. Now, there's a ton of them. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'm just going to go through a couple because... Some of them are important, but these are very telling. This is just a snippet, an example of just how they implicate themselves. So Glover, Jamarcus Glover, his nickname on the street is Chop, right? So he's, he's, he's talks to different people on the phone and, um, he talks to, uh, one of the girls. Oh, I'm sorry. One of the guys, a guy named Adrian Walker, another one of his, his buddies, he calls, uh, Walker on the phone, or Walker calls him. He says to Walker, where are you at? Walker says to Glover, you know the spot. E. Glover then says, they trying to act like they had a search warrant for Bree's house too. Well, they're not acting like it. They had one. Walker then answers Glover. He says, I know. The only thing I can figure out is they checked that license plate. They've been putting it into an investigation on you. Glover says, they checked Bree's license plate? He questioned him with a question. Walker answers him. He says, that's the only thing I can think of. Somebody pull up on the block in the Charger, Dodge Charger, which Taylor rented. That's the only thing I can think of. What he's alluding to is they saw him get out of the Charger that was rented by Breonna Taylor. They saw Glover get out of it. And uh, Glover answers, Walker didn't have no business doing that. He says he got Bree killed. And he says a few other things in here I'm not going to repeat. The N-word, you know, the N-word is like, they just throw it out like it's free. And uh, so he says, you know, that so-and-so got Bree killed. Walker then answers him. <laughs> Basically, I think, trying to give him a little bit of grounding. He says, you got to see, like, the bigger picture to it. You feel me? It's more, there's more to it than what you're feeling like right now. And Glover responds, I know, I know, she was feeling me. Meaning, you know, she liked him. At the end of the day, everything's stolen from me, though. I swear you know that. Glover then says to Walker, that man tell me, I watch you leave your baby mama's house. All right? If you watch me leave my baby mama's house, why would you execute a warrant at Bree's house? Bree got that charger and all this shit. Bree's paper trail makes sense for everything she got, though. So he's deflecting. He's putting it on her. Why are they going there? Glover says to him again, I don't understand how they serve a warrant for Bree's house when nothing ties me to Bree's house at all, except these bonds. And what he's referring to is she posted bond for him on multiple previous arrests. So he's saying that's the only thing that ties me and her. Well, Walker responds and just lays it right out. He says, bonds and cars, the Dodge Charger. And then he says, and 2016. It's just ties, though. Look at the ties since 2016 
ever since Rambo. And the camera right there. They see everything pull up. So he's going back to Rambo. He's going back to the car rental where the dead guy was found. Brianna's Taylor's car that she rented. The dead guy's in her car that she rented. That's one section of the phone calls. He, Walker goes back and he says, they didn't even have to see her pull up. All they had to do was see the license plate. Walker says to Glover, oh, uh, I'm sorry, Glover says to Walker, no, Bree don't, Bree don't, Bree don't. You know, bro, you know, Bree don't have nothing in her house. They didn't find nothing in her house. Walker responds, I thought you said they found some money over there. Jamarcus Glover says, it was there, it was there, it was there. They didn't do nothing, though. That's the problem. Kenneth said, ain't none of that go on. He's talking about Kenneth Walker, guy that actually shot the police that was with her. Uh, the other Walker says to Glover, so they didn't take none of the money? And Glover responds, Kenneth said that none of that go on. He said that homicide came straight on the scene and they went to packaging Brie and they left. Packaging. So that's what he's, you start to see the whole human, human side of this. Packaging. That's how we refer to Brianna Taylor. That's how the guy that supposedly loved her is talking about her. Well, they just showed up and they packaged her and then they left. In other words, it's over. She's gone. We got to move on. We got to protect ourselves. And uh, he goes on a little bit more talking um, with him back and forth. But they're talking about the money in the house. And, you know, even Glover's saying, yeah, there was money in the house. Later, he's talking to somebody named Kiera Bradley. This is his baby's mother, the one he's been referring to as baby mama. She says to him on the phone, so where your money at? And Glover responds, where my money at? Bree had like eight grand. So not only is he telling everybody now, the investigators, as this thing's unfolding, that Brianna Taylor was holding his money, he gives you one account of how much. So Bradley, the woman, says to Glover again, Bree had eight grand of your money. Yeah, he answered. He says, uh, and now an unknown male vo uh, voice joined the phone call, and Glover says to the man, tell cuz, Bree got down like 15 grand. She had the eight grand, and I gave her the other day, and she picked up another six grand. So they're going through how much money she had. Bradley, the girl, are arguing back, uh, and Glover are arguing back and forth about not being honest uh, and him having money at other people's houses, specifically another woman. She said to him, or uh, Glover says to her, why are you doing this? He's getting fed up with her complaining about why the other girl had the money. And she says, because my feelings are hurt. So Jamarcus says to this girl, why? Because the bread was at her house? He goes on, he says, this is what you got to understand. Don't take it wrong, but Brie, meaning Brianna, been handling all my money. She been handling my money. She been handling shit for me and because it ain't just me. He just admitted over the phone to his baby mama, Miss Bradley, that Brianna Taylor is handling his finances, or at least a large portion of his finances, and not just his. She's handling the money. She gets upset and she says, but I mean, she should at least tell you where your money is, chop. And Glover says, I can't talk to you on this phone, but I will tell you exactly the reason why. She responds, she should tell you where your money is. When you got money at my house, I tell you exactly where it is. She's giving herself up. She's holding money too. Glover then says to Bradley, it's no problem. I can walk in her house anytime, blah, 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 and find the money. Last thing Bradley says in his conversation string here is, this bitch, meaning Brianna Taylor, where she been with you since you ain't been over at my house? Same day you post a picture, I guess she post a video. 
You knew it because she said, what's up? She was in the bed with you, kissing all over you. The shit's embarrassing. So you can see how Bradley, Kara Bradley is upset. It's a, it's a little love triangle tryst. And she's jealous that he's giving attention to the other one, but he's also jealous that the other girl is handling the money. And they went through this whole thing and they did quite a good job of documenting everything. I got to be honest, when I first started looking into this case, I thought it was going to be a lot more questions. I, th I really did. I thought there was going to be a lot more questions. But the investigation here is actually pretty detailed. It's very detailed. They, they answered a lot of questions and uh, I, was, I was actually very impressed. Um, as we do in all of these things, we usually get to part where the where the the celebrities and everybody want to talk, right? Um, before we do that, though, let's talk about some of the attorneys. You know, immediately in this in this scenario, they they sue civilly, right? That's what it is. We tell everybody in all the shooting classes that we teach, like, the police officers, if you if you shoot somebody, you're going to get sued. Just get over it. It's not there's nothing you did right or wrong. It doesn't really matter whether you did it all right or all wrong. You're going to get sued anyways. So a gentleman by the name of Aguiar the civil attorney for the Taylor family, uh, he said that her name should not be tarnished. I find it interesting that they, they want to say that because see, he's saying that because there's a reason why some people would talk less than stellar about Breonna Taylor. And why that is, is a lot of what I just laid out to you. She's up to her neck in a, in a drug distribution ring. I mean, she's not out the one there handing out bags, but she's handling the money. And she's getting something for it. And he went on to say, and I, I love how they do this. This is his quote. She overcame a difficult childhood, being raised without a father in her life and becoming the first in her immediate family to graduate high school. Brianna had no drugs or cash in her apartment at the time she was killed. She was living her best life. Okay, I get what he's saying. This is the attorney. He's got to start saying shit like this, right? But let's be honest. She's not living her best life, okay? She may have overcome a difficult childhood, but she's living a difficult adulthood too. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. She didn't deserve to die for it, but part of, part of this, a large part of this is her fault. And the other part is Jamarcus Glover's fault because he's the one that put her in this position. She agreed to it, but he put her there. So now let's get into some of the media. New York Times are always good for a headline. Uh, where was this dated? September 24th. So this is recently. Now, as of this recording, the grand jury has already been seated and come to a conclusion. The officers, two of the officers, Mattingly and Cosgrove, were cleared, right? Hank, uh, Hankinson was charged. There has also been a $12 million settlement with Taylor's family from the city of Louisville. And I'm not really surprised. I'm a little surprised at the number. I'm not surprised that there was a settlement. There's always a settlement. It starts off in the New York Times. The death of Breonna Taylor, a black medical worker. Okay, see right there? See what they just did? They have to put black and they capitalize it. Black. It normally never used to be capitalized, but it is now. Black. Black medical worker who was shot and killed by Louisville police officers in March. And then they say, during a botched raid. Here's the thing, folks. This isn't botched. Okay? And the decision of the grand jury, who are civilians, who are not involved in law enforcement, who actually heard the evidence, said it wasn't. It's unfortunate. It's tragic. But that raid was exactly as they were supposed to do it until... Kenneth Walker shot at them. So maybe they say on a raid that was botched by her boyfriend, maybe something like that. They went on to call her a 26-year-old emergency medical room technician, which is good. They always want to kind of put that back in. And uh, again, Sam Aguiar in the New York Times is quoted again. Brianna was a woman who was figuring everything out in her life, who had turned 
a corner. And again, that's where he says she was living her best life. Now, go back to what they, they, they want to talk about the 911 call. This is interesting. This is the New York Times reporting this. Again, they're saying that Mr. Walter Walker was licensed to carry a gun. I don't know that he had a license. Um, he may have just been legally permitted under open carry. I don't really know what the laws are in Kentucky with that. But there doesn't seem to be an issue with him having the firearm. He probably doesn't have any criminal history or prior arrests. But in his 911 call, just after the shots were fired, he got on the phone and told the dispatcher, quote, somebody kicked in the door and shot my girlfriend. Okay. Now, on the face, is that true? Yeah, they did shoot his girlfriend. He forgot the part, though, where he shot the cop. I wonder why he wouldn't tell them that when he called. In other words, somebody just knocked my door in and I shot the police officer and then they returned fire and shot my girlfriend? You're going to leave that part out, right? Now, social media blew up just like it always does. And this, I, I, and this is, I don't, you know, I don't give a whole lot of opinions on this, but this is one of my humble opinions. Social media is killing us. Social media is maybe one of the main reasons why we have these uprisings, protests, and burnings, burn, loot, and murder type thing in these cities. They, they started a hashtag, say her name, you know, Brianna Taylor. We want to keep her name alive. We want to keep her name alive. You want to keep her name alive because she died in, in, a, in a tragic incident. But if you, if you dare in social media or in the media during an interview, bring up her shady past, they shout you down. They don't want to talk about that. And again, it's, we don't, we don't have a society anymore where open and honest conversations are permitted. We go from one extreme to the other, and it's, it's killing us. New Jersey, Senator Cory Booker, he popped off. We haven't heard from him since his Spartacus days. Um, quote, her life was tragically taken by police, and we will not stop marching for justice until it's served for her and her family. Well, the grand jury was convened, and it was just served. I don't know that you like the flavor, but it was. That's the system. That's the system. And I'm going to get into the Attorney General's press conference here in a moment. Senator Kamala Harris, running for vice president right now, right? She said her life was horrifically taken by officers. And keep up the calls for justice. Say her name. Somebody, one of the um, other women, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, who actually came up with that. She's an activist who came up with the name or the saying, hashtag say her name. She said, if black lives really do matter, all black lives have to matter. You're right, ma'am, they do. But we also have to be honest about a situation and an investigation. Now, on July 30th, for the first time in 20 years, Oprah Winfrey did not appear on the cover of O, the magazine, which instead featured Miss Taylor with a digital portrait drawn by the young artist Alexis Franklin. I personally have not seen the cover of the magazine. I'm sure it's done very nicely. Um, but I would go out on a limb saying it didn't say anything about her drug ties. Just the fact that she's just this poor EMT that was shot. So I have no problem with talking about somebody's life and even some of the good things they did in their life. But when you have something as horrible as this and as tragic as this, you gotta, you gotta let it out. Like how we got to this point, how she got to that point and how the police got to her door. And if you're not doing that and you're in journalism or you're in the news, you suck at your job. You got to give it up. You got to be the truthful, right? Somebody um, from the WNBA, which I actually didn't even know still existed, from the Los Angeles Sparks, 
Quote, having Brianna Taylor on the back of my jersey means so much more. I can't take anything for granted. I have to go out there and play like it's my last game because she did not know that would be the last day she would live. She thought she was safe in her own home. Her name is Christine Anigwe. So, Christine, that's touching. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you didn't know half the story before you said that. Not that you don't feel for this girl. I actually feel for this girl. This girl shouldn't have had to die. But she's not saving her own home. Okay, the popo's coming at some point. You're running, you're running numbers and running money for dope dealers. Somebody's going to knock on your door someday. Okay, the wolf is coming. And that's just the way it is sometimes. So you can play that game. I've said it before. You play stupid games and you win stupid prizes. Get into the um, topic of, so still with the media, CNN is a good one. CNN's awesome. Um, a key, here's the headline. A key miscalculation by the officers contributed to the tragic death, death of Brianna Taylor. And you're thinking, oh my God, what did they do wrong, right? Well, their thing is, wow, there was somebody in the house with her. It's not necessarily a miscalculation, folks. They're still going in. They're still going to, and they knocked on the door. All they really wanted them to do was come out and say, hey, we have a search warrant. But they decided not to answer. Um, and he says, uh, officers used a battering ram to break down the door of Taylor's apartment, triggering a chain of events that would leave the unarmed 26-year-old woman fatally shot in a barrage of seemingly out-of-control police gunfire. So what I do is I investigate shootings. And I teach people how to do it. Myself, Jim Molinaro, a bunch of other people, right? This actually is not out-of-control gunfire. This is very controlled gunfire. The targets are in front of us. The targets already engaged us. That's their mindset. We've been struck and injured, maybe fatally. We engage. We return fire. It's not like it was in every room. I'm not talking about Hankinson. That's something different. I'm talking about Mattingly and Cosgrove in the hallway. And they said uh, it triggered the chain of events. Well, yes, it did, actually. The next part of the chain was getting shot at by Mr. Walker. So just keep saying it. Don't leave those parts out. And the more you listen to the truth and the whole truth, you'll start to see why it all happened. You, and you're more likely to accept it like saying, holy shit, this was really bad. But my God, Murphy showed up here and this thing went sideways. Now they see misconceptions aside, the police operation that night was tragically flawed. <laughs> this is great. A CNN review of the incident. Oh my God. Thank God they're around to review these incidents for us. They found that a key miscalculation by police who assumed Taylor was home alone when she was, in fact, accompanied by a boyfriend. Okay, it doesn't matter. They still knocked on the door. If they thought that was that big of a threat, they would have blasted the door off the hinges and went in with rifles pointed at them. That wasn't the case. So it's really not a tragic outcome. But CNN is notorious for spinning things up and making them sound... You know, like, oh, my God, thank God for us. We're going to tell you everything that's really going on in the world. Um, but that's how they handle that. When you get into the later part of these podcasts, one of the things we always do a lot of times is we talk specifically about the celebrities and what they generally and what the celebrities have to say. So let's go right off the bat with Colin Kaepernick. I don't even know why I'm giving him the time of day, but... His statement is so bizarre that I feel we have to. So Colin Kaepernick comes out with a, a statement on Twitter, a tweet. It says this, White supremacist institution of policing 
that stole Brianna Taylor's life from us must be abolished for the safety and well-being of our people. Hashtag Brianna Taylor. Hashtag say her name. Hashtag abolish the police. This is a guy that is angry about everything. And he is probably the one of the most hated athletes there is for the way he behaves, the way he carries on. He actually has no business making statements. Actually, I don't want to single him out. None of them really do, because none of them really know the story. <clears throat> I guarantee none of them went through any type of social media and looked at, hey, what do we got? Let me, let me look up the, the background. They don't. They just pop off. But I said it in an earlier episode. It's about platform building. It's about being heard. He's got a mission, so he wants to be heard. Um, some of the other folks that were out there, Alicia Keys. This is a prime example of rotten to the core. That part may be right. This, is, this whole thing is kind of rotten. It stinks the way it hell happened. And then her next thing is unjust. Well, no, you're wrong. Disrespectful and blatant disregard infuriated. Um, the ACLU uh, put something out. They said, this is the manifestation of what the millions of people who have taken to the streets to protest police violence already know. Modern policing and our criminal legal system are rotten to the core. It's not millions of people. I really don't believe that. It's not even close. It's a small microcosm of society, it seems, that the media is giving a much larger platform to. A little city block here and there, people losing their mind, throwing things around, burning things. I get it. It's bad. It's not good. But let's not get crazy. It's not millions of people. And then here he is, our buddy, Bron Bron. LeBron James, always good for a tweet. He says, quote, I've been lost for words today. I'm devastated, hurt, sad, mad. We want justice for Brianna. Yet justice was met for her neighbor's apartment walls and not her beautiful life. Was I surprised at the verdict? Absolutely not. But damn it, I was and still am hurt and heavy hearted. Uh, I think he sends condolences. It's actually one of his better tweets in something like this. D.L. Hewley, I believe he's a comedian. The apartment building she was killed in got more justice than her. Isaiah Thomas, uh, what did he say? He said, can't put a price on justice. They know exactly what they're doing. Jamal Crawford, I know they didn't think paying money to Breonna Taylor's family was enough. Justice is worth more. So there's a lot of angry people. Um, I like to think, though, that they're angry because they didn't know the story. They thought she really was an innocent victim of this whole thing, that she had nothing to do with these people, that it was the wrong address, that uh, they went in there crazy and let rip gunfire indiscriminately. None of that's true. And what I want to do here at the end is I want to talk about the press conference that was given by the uh, Commonwealth of Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. I watched his press conference and I was very impressed, really was very impressed. He said all the right things in the very beginning. And then he went through this very carefully. He brought up the fact that the Office of Special Prose Prosecutions was the one that investigated this from the legal standpoint. He also talked about the fact that they presented this to a grand jury. This is important. See, they can, uh, an attorney general or a district attorney can sign off on an incident, on a shooting. 
It was very important that they didn't do that in this case, that they actually put it before a grand jury of the public. He explained Fletcher v. Graham, the justification for grand juries, how it is the hallmark of the, or the hallmark of the grand jury is its independence from anybody else. He understood, he, he presented some of the facts and I will go through some of what he said. He described the three officers involved, Mattingly, Hankinson, and Cosgrove. He gave the address. He talked about the knock versus no knock scenario that we explained earlier, that they had permission to execute a no-knock warrant. However, they used, the supervisors decided, no, we're going to knock and announce. He advised and explained how the door was breached. He told how Mattingly went through the door first. He visually observed two people, a male and a female, the male holding a weapon in a shooting stance. He described how Kenneth Walker fired first, striking the officer, Sergeant Mattingly. He even broke down the shot accounting, which is not an easy thing to do in a short period of time. Mattingly firing six shots, Cosgrove firing 16 shots. Cosgrove also firing the fatal shot. Hankinson was outside and he had fired 10 shots, but it had nothing to do with the uh, injury or death to Brianna Taylor. Now, one of the shots that struck Brianna Taylor was fatal. He did not go into detail on what it is, but he talked about presenting this to the grand jury. And for those of you who don't understand what that's all about, it's very simple. A grand jury is convened. They hear evidence and testimony. Their job is to determine whether or not there is enough for charges to continue or somebody to be brought to trial for, for a charge to be levied. After hearing everything, they came to the decision that the actions of Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified. They came to the decision that the execution of the search warrant was justified. Then they came to the decision that the actions of Hankinson was not. They indicted him, and he was charged with the three counts of wanton endangerment, which I explained earlier. At the end of this, uh, Attorney General Cameron cited uh, Kentucky law, and he said, under Kentucky law, and this is exactly what he said, and this is very, very critical that people understand what this means. Under Kentucky law, the grand jury found, quote, the use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified in return of deadly fire after having, having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. Read that again. The use of force by Mattingly and Cosgrove was justified in return of deadly fire after having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. Now, after they have made that the decision, he further explains that bars them, that bars prosecution in the state of Kentucky from pursuing criminal charges in Breonna Taylor's death. It bars them legally. The system worked. You may not like it. And I, for those of you that may listen to this that don't like it, I do understand that. But that is the system. They went through this systematically and meticulously, and what they did is they ply, applied the rule of law to this. The attorney general went on to say, the truth is now before us, and the facts have been examined. That's, that's the whole thing right there. The truth is before us. It's been laid out. The problem is a lot of people in the public never heard the whole truth. Some people never even heard the attorney general give his briefing. They just saw a blip in the paper and more outrage and more burning. It's very unfortunate that people react the way they do without knowing 
really why they're acting that way. Or at least acting that way, not knowing what really happened. It's, it's a sad day when we can rush to judgment and burn cities down. In the days after this event, uh, after the grand jury uh, announcement, there was more unrest in the city of Louisville. And unfortunately, in an area, again, noted for violence, down near 25th or 26th Street, shots rang out again. And two Louisville police officers were shot. Neither one were life-threatening injuries, but they were shot. And the individual was arrested. And some of the people that were out there actually protesting, and I'm going to use that term protesting, because there are people protesting, and then there are people rioting. America has to put down its political uniform here, whatever jersey you're wearing, and understand that we have a difference between protesters and rioters. Protesters are one thing. It's your constitutional right. Rioting is not. And it makes criminal investigations very hard. It makes continuing these investigations and doing a really thorough job difficult. And they have made it difficult. But these two officers will recover from their injuries, and this individual has been charged. It was interesting because some of the protesters actually pointed him out. They pointed out the shooter. They said, it's him right there, and they snatched him right up. There's been other incidents. The Kentucky, uh, the National Guard has been brought in, and the Kentucky State Police are also getting involved. Now, since... Since this time, um, there have been some calls to action. What are we going to do? What are we going to change? How are we going to make the world a better place? And um, there's some there's some things out there that you know people immediately want to call for. Let's uh, you know let's ban the no knock, ban no knock warrants. They're dangerous. No, actually, stop the knee jerk reaction crap. Okay, there's a reason for a no knock, and there's a reason. They exist, and there's a reason that judges approve them. We had, believe it or not, of all people in Kentucky, Senator Rand Paul made a motion for the Breonna Taylor Act, or the Breonna Taylor Safety Act or something, saying we we should ban no-knock warrants. Okay, folks, they did not execute a no-knock warrant, so stop it. This is not the the case study for banning anything, a no-knock warrant especially, because they didn't do it. But again, that's a, that's a United States senator who you think would be able to pick up the phone and get a little backstory calling for banning this. You'll notice that there's nobody that's involved in any of these tactical type things that think that's a good idea, banning a no-knock warrant. They, they're used very sparingly, um, but they also are very necessary sometimes. It all depends on who you're going after and why you're going through the door. So there has been uh, other calls for... Uh, firings, termination. Hankinson has since been fired. Actually, he was fired right away. He's been charged. He's going to have to defend himself. We'll see what happens there. As far as the the rest of the department, they're struggling right now. The people of of Louisville are struggling. Most of the people rioting are probably not even from there, just like in every other event. It's going to take a while for that part of Louisville to ever get back on its feet. You're seeing the 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 next phase of what's going to happen here, you're already seeing it in Minneapolis. People are calling 911 and the police are not showing up quickly. They're just not. They're not going to race there to get there, to get involved in another one of these incidents where you're just going to shout them down. So they'll come, they'll, they'll answer their, their calls for service, but they're, they don't have a bounce in their step right now. And that's going to happen here in Louisville too. The other thing that has happened in the, and uh, Attorney General Cameron announced this, 
the FBI had gotten involved. Now, the FBI handles a civil rights investigation, whether or not there was a violation of civil rights. The criminal aspect of this was handled by the, I think it's the Public Integrity Unit of Louisville Metro, and then reviewed by the Attorney General's office. There since has been, I believe, a change. The Kentucky State Police will be handling all officer-involved shooting use of force cases in the Louisville area, or maybe even in Jefferson County now. So there has been some change that they want to incorporate. Sometimes these changes are very, very good. Other times it's just to pander to people that are complaining and they don't make any sense, like the no-knock warrant thing. Um, you don't just arbitrarily ban something. If you want to review it, you review it. But you bring in actual experts to comment on that. So this case has a lot more to it than we talked about, a, a lot more players on the field. And when I say a lot more information, most of that was the investigation that led up to the application for the search warrants. And it's, a, it's very interesting. If you get a chance to take a look at it, go look at some of the reports online and see of all the players and how they, how they um, all kind of interweave in this. And also, I only read a, a portion of the jailhouse phone calls. I just read you some things that, you know, where uh, Mr. Glover implicated himself big time and implicated Breonna Taylor in her actions. So uh, there's plenty more there to talk about her and what she did and, and, and what was going on. So uh, I, I want to thank you for listening. Um, please, if you have any comments, you can uh, hit us at uh, under the yellow tape podcast at gmail.com and uh, or go to under the yellow tape po- uh, under the yellow tape.com website too. And there's a place to leave comments there as well. As usual, all we really try to do is to get you to open your mind, hear a little bit more of the facts, open up your own mind, and make your own decisions. We're not here to change your mind. We're just here to open your mind. Thanks for listening. We'll talk soon.